Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good morning, and uh, so glad that you're here. Also, uh, want to just invite you to a very important event that's happening tomorrow is a federal holiday. Amen. Martin Luther King Day Jr. But oftentimes it's referred to as a day on, not a day off. It's a day where we get to reflect on the life and legacy of a pastor who sensed a calling to advocate for justice in a world and in a nation where there was so much injustice. And, um, and that's a task that, as a church, we aspire to continue to be on. Uh, many of you know that after, in the wake of a lot of the unjust uh, killings of people like Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd, that uh, our lead pastor launched uh, Pray March Act. Uh, we had a, a rally, we had a march that uh, drew churches and believers and non-believers all over, uh, from all over the city uh, together. Um, and then that, from that, we started Pray March Act, and we are doing our second, uh, this is only because it's, you know, it was in the midst of COVID, and we were organizing ourselves. So tomorrow is only our second like public outside event that we're doing. And we definitely want to invite you to be a part. It's in Harlem. Amen. So it's a little bit of travel involved for the Brooklyn Knights, but the trains still work on Martin Luther King Day. And, <laughs> and, um, and we want to really encourage you to be a part of this, not only to reflect on the legacy of Dr. King, but also to continue to be involved. You know, it's easy when the momentum is there and everybody's talking about it to get involved. It's it's, it's tougher when it's a year away, two years away, three years away from this flashpoint, but it's still a need for us to, to be involved. And so we want to encourage you. Uh, we pray because the task is bigger than us. Uh, we march because love shows up. And we act to do justice in a broken world. The rallying together is important, but it's not the end of the story. It's really just mobilizing to do justice. So we want to encourage you to do that because... That's part of what it looks like to go public. And, um, and that really has been the focus of our series. Uh, last week we started in this idea of what does it look like to uh, go public with our faith? And there's two components of going public. One, what we're doing tomorrow is demonstration. We have to demonstrate the gospel in our lives, in the way, the choices that we make and what we advocate for. But we also have to proclaim, too. There's proclamation that has to go with the demonstration. And in that proclamation, this is where it can get sticky for a lot of us. And the interesting thing is, there's no question among the large majority of practicing Christians if we should tell people about Jesus. Like, almost everybody agrees with that. However, according to a Barna study, that... With each increasing generation, less and less are thinking that it's a good idea to do it. They even noticed, and we talked about this last week, that 47% of millennials actually think that it's bad to share your faith with someone of a different faith in hopes that they would come to believe in Jesus. Like that, that's a wrong thing to do. I'm talking about practicing Christians. And 
not to throw shade on many of you in the room who identify with that cohort, because part of the context and the reason why that exists is because of the bad witness of previous generations. The awkward situations that have been created as a result of people hearing about this idea of sharing their faith and just thinking judgmental, just thinking dominating conversation, just thinking accusing me and condemning me. And because that has been the context, a lot of times folks are like, you know what, I don't want to be anywhere near that. Maybe I should just kind of be, keep it quiet and private. But here's another in encouraging statistic uh, that was found in the research. 90% of those who do push past their fear, push past their uncertainty, and actually have a conversation with someone of a different faith, over 90% say that they were left encouraged, more encouraged as a result of that conversation than discouraged. So the issue with going public isn't this insurmountable task that we think it might be, but it does require some reflection on the message and how we're conveying it. You see, Communications 101 says that there's a sender of a message and then there's a receiver and what if the issue isn't the message itself, but that somehow what we're sending or communicating is being heard differently than what it is being intended? What if people are being turned away, not from Jesus, but from something else in how we are communicating? Maybe something is getting lost in translation. Now, I have a little experience uh, in that. I studied French in high school, in college, and became, according to the University of Pennsylvania standards, proficient <laughs> in French. That's what they told me. But I decided to study abroad one of my semesters and decided to go to Cameroon in Central Africa. And what our professor, the director of the program, did was he, the first day out, told us to go into La Marche uh, and buy something. We had to go out in another country day one and go and buy something. Now, I quickly learned that I was not proficient according to Cameroonian <laughs> standards. It was so scary. I did manage to buy some sandals, uh, but people immediately discovered that I was not from there. And they would ask, du vien tu? Where are you from? Stick out my chest, les Etats-Unis. <laughs> I knew that one. U.S. Oh. So then they would naturally ask after that, qu'est-ce que tu penses de notre pays? What do you think of our country? And I would, you know, be like, okay, I'm getting a feel of this. Je suis très excité, soit ici. <laughs> and so they would kind of look at me and go, oh, okay. And then they move on. And this became like my go-to, right? Like when you speak in another language in another country, you just kind of like have a few phrases that you lock into. Well, <laughs> one day the director of the program happened to be close to me when, he, uh, when I was saying this. And he, he said, uh, can, I, can, can I pull you aside for a second? So I said, sure. He said, um, what do you think you're saying? And I said that I, I'm excited to be in the country. He said, you're actually saying you're aroused to be in the country. I was like, oh. And then I started to have these flashbacks of all the reactions that I got and realized something got lost in translation. 
And so oftentimes when we're trying to speak another language, you know, it takes practice and it takes work in order to become fluent in that language. And in the same way, we need to learn the language of the gospel and to be fluent in the language of the gospel. And what I mean by fluent in the language of the gospel is not just what oftentimes Christians can do of using Christian terms and vocabulary out of context. And so you know what you mean, but the other person doesn't know what you mean. How you doing today? I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm too blessed to be stressed. It is only by grace that I'm here. And it's like, People are like, what is that? What did you just say? Like, now you're killing the game for your standpoint. <laughs> kind of like I was, but in actuality, stuff is getting lost. And, um, and, and so because of that, we have this belief, this tendency to think that people aren't asking the big questions anymore, that people aren't wrestling with deep things. And it's because we think, well, I'm giving it to them and they're not coming. So that must mean they're not interested. When in actuality, when you look at just the beginning of the new year, what's everybody about? Health, prosperity, about having happiness and even joy in their lives. When they look at the racial divisions or gender inequalities or sexual ethics, there's all of these questions that come up that people are wrestling with big things. The, the, the issue isn't that people stopped wrestling with them. It's that we have somehow forgotten how to speak in the language of the gospel. And if we fail to give people Jesus, then we actually fail to give people the good news that can be transformative in their lives. Now, the good news is that Jesus was the perfect evangelist. And so we're going to look at his approach in one of the longest dialogues that's recorded in the Gospels. Last week, we looked at John chapter 9, and now we're going to look at John chapter 4. It's a, it's a very popular and famous passage, and so we're just going to jump in and kind of go there. So in verse 3 of John chapter 4, it says, He left, meaning Jesus, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we see in this passage that gets set up that, that, that Jesus has made this journey. He's made this trek, we see, from Judea and then going to Galilee. Now, this was over about 75 miles walking in the desert. It would take several days usually to do. 
And so that was just a natural part of the journey. But it says and it clarified that he had to go through Samaria. Now, if you were to look on the map, that would kind of logically make sense because you had to go like that was the most direct route from Judea to Galilee was to go through Samaria. But that's not what's going on here. Because, you see, it was common practice for Jews to actually extend the trip to go around Samaria. That was a neighborhood that they said, you know, you don't really want to go in there. And so when, it's, when John is bringing attention to the fact that he had to go through Samaria, he's not talking about geographical expeditiency. He's talking about a mission. Because the reason why Jews didn't uh, go to Samaria had to do with a lot of history. I'm going to just unpack it for you briefly. So in the Old Testament, there was once one king, unified kingdom of Israel. But then it split between two kingdoms because the north and the south had beef. And so the Samaria becomes the capital of the northern kingdom. And they have a lot of the bad kings when you read in Kings. And it's like this king worshiped idols and this king worshiped idols. And so as a result of that, the scriptures record how God allows the northern kingdom to be taken over by Assyria. Assyria was a, a, a nation to their east, and they came over, and their method of conquer was not just to take the land, but to also deport some people away from where their foreign land was, and then to bring other people in so that they couldn't uh, rally around each other and kind of overthrow them. And so they would deliberately mix the people up. And in that mixing, what naturally would happen as people do what they do, is there would be intermixing between the different ethnic groups. Now, particularly in the context of Israel, this was a problem because of the different religions that people had and the different gods that they worshipped. And that, so it was a prohibition against that, but th this was ignored. And so as a result of this, over the sense of centuries, not only were the Samaritans uh, different ethnically than the Jews, but they also were dif different religiously because they had mingled and entered into idol worship alongside of worship with God. And so they were looked at as less than, as, as dirty, as, as something on the outside. And so good Jewish people, and definitely not rabbis, would go interact in Samaria as a result of these things. They were known for their paganism and their impurity. And she picks up on this, which is why she's like, what are you talking to me for? Like, how is this even happening? Like, I'm from Samaritan. You're like, I'm a Samaritan, right? Like, I'm, I'm from here. You're not. And so, and, and if we're honest, some of the reasons why we're afraid of going public with our faith is because of these type of tensions that can emerge, right? Like, there's, there's some tensions that emerge with, like, I know the history I have, maybe even in my own household, with somebody. I know that the way that they kind of can push my buttons or they know my story in the past. And so if I start telling them about Jesus and start trying to have this conversation, it's going to go sideways real fast. Or maybe there's some other tensions at your job or with other people that you know are ripe to have this conversation, but they're not going to receive it well because of some other baggage historically. And I can relate to that. And even the intimidation Involved. I remember when I was a young believer, I was maybe a couple years old in my faith, 
And uh, I had a neighbor, and I was telling him, like, yo, I just, like, started walking with Jesus. And, and he was like, oh, that, that's cool. He was like, you know, the Bible actually talks about Muhammad, and Jesus kind of talked about him coming. You know, he was a Muslim. And I was like, where? I don't know about <laughs> like, serious. So, so I, I, you know, he's like, yeah, you should check that out. So I'm, I just didn't have an answer. So I just kind of went back in the Gospels and saw where he was talking about when he said, uh, he was talking about in John chapter 14, verse 26, when it says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So clearly in the context, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, but he, that's what he was referencing. I kid you not, several weeks later, I'm at church. It was a Christmas play that was happening. And uh, because it was a play, this man in like this just very regal looking stature and like Islamic garb head to toe was, was there. And so because my name is Rasul and, you know, I have that background, I just felt called to go and talk to him. So I started, you know, like, hey, what's going on? Like, you know, it turns out his daughter was there in the play, so he was there to pick her up. And uh, so I start to kind of just initiate, like, yeah, so, you know, I, that's my background, too. He was like, yeah, you know what? Jesus actually talked about Muhammad coming in the Bible. And he was like, I went to seminary and uh, before, Christian seminary before I became a Muslim. And I studied all these things. And this is what I've discovered. So I literally pulled out the Bible to like John 14, 26. And I said, oh, you mean here when it says the helper who is the Holy Spirit? I said, now, my, correct me if I'm wrong, but a spirit is not a physical being. So it couldn't be talking about a person. He looked at me. So what are you trying to say? I said, I'm just trying to come to the truth. Like, <laughs> but here's the point. Through practice, you can actually begin to overcome these obstacles and learn. You don't get everything immediately, but you kind of, over time, begin to practice and, and get insight. So let me ask you, where is your Samaria? Where's the place that you just kind of don't want to go? Like that neighbor that you kind of like feel like maybe there's an opportunity, but I'm just too intimidated. That person that you're like, yo, I, this is where God is calling me to. And the thing is, the Holy Spirit did come. He is the helper and comfort us, and he does lead us and guide us. And so I'm not asking you where you want to go. <laughs> I'm asking you where is God calling you? Because the first step to being gospel fluent is leaving your comfort zone. The first step is leaving your comfort zone. You, in order to be fluent in anything, in any language, it requires you to be immersed in that other language. And so in order to be immersed, that means you have to leave where everybody talks like you, thinks like you, looks like you, and go to the place where they think different, speak different, and you have to go through the work of translation in your mind. But eventually, as you continue to work, it starts to become so seamless, right? Like, then this is the point that you get. Like, I remember when I was in Cameroon, and I remember, like, I started talking, and I wasn't doing the, like, bit-by-bit -bit translation anymore. I was just kind of communicating. And it got to the point, my last day, I'm in a car, driving around Yaoundé, the main city, where I'm going wherever I wanted, and I told them that I wasn't from there. And they were shocked, because I had picked up the language. When you leave your comfort zone, you can become fluent in knowing how to speak the gospel. But once we leave the comfort zone, then we have to take another step. And we see this also in the dialogue. Look what happens next, right? So, so she asked this question, like, how are you talking to me? 
And then Jesus answered her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Now, there's a lot happening in this dialogue. Well, first of all, we have to understand, like, this woman is from this neighborhood. This is in a dry, semi-desert place. So, like, it's not like there's a whole lot of options for where to go get water. And so she's like, wait a minute. Like, this is is it right here. This well that we've been handed and received over centuries has been our source of survival. Now, in addition to that, part of what's going on when she asked, are you greater than Jacob, was because Jewish and Samaritan tradition had held that Jacob had miraculously uh, found this well. Remember, Jacob is the one who's the father of the nation. God wrestles with him and changes his name to Israel, right? So he is the patriarch of patriarchs. And so they believe that somehow God supernaturally created this well in the midst of a desert and got them water that has sustained him. He's, and she's saying, wait, are you saying you better than Jacob? <laughs> and Jesus is, I love his response because he starts speaking her language and talking about water, but he's talking about himself in the context of living water. Now, living water has a double connotation. Living water is what they describe water that wasn't still, right? Like in a pond, but was flowing like a river. And they held that it had better properties and it was more uh, beneficial to the body. So in one sense, when she's hearing living water, she's thinking about that. But Jesus is taking it to another level to talk about how he is the ultimate living water that never runs dry. And so he takes what she is already interested in. She's come to this well in the heat of the day at noon. It said the sixth hour, right? That's noon. You don't go to a well in the desert at noon. That's why she went by herself, which was something else that a woman would typically not do because it was dangerous out there in them streets. But she's out there, she's alone, and she is searching in her mind just for this physical water. But Jesus understands the full context of her life and says, you're actually looking for something deeper. You're pining for something deeper. And that the type of life and the type of water you're looking for is actually only the type that I can give you. Something that can quench not just your physical body, but your soul. Do you know how many people are out here looking for for water and they're thinking of it only in physical terms? And it's up to us to elevate it to spiritual and physical terms. The water that Jesus is talking about Will, will, will satisfy all of those longings. And notice, he's not ignoring the need for the physical, but he's elevating it to the spiritual. And, and this leads to the second important aspect of how we have to go public. 
You see, most of us define going public with our faith or sharing our faith as, as having what, what words do I need to say or, or, or what things do I need, what angle do I need to approach or maybe inviting someone to church when in actuality, the main thing and the most important thing that Jesus demonstrates here, listen, listen. When you listen to people, they will tell you where the need is and where is the bad news in their life that they need good news for. He listened, and that's why he starts talking about water. We know from John that at different points he calls himself the living bread. At something else, he calls himself the I am. Depending on the context, that is what causes Christ to reveal himself as what she needs in that moment. Look at what Proverbs 20 verse 5 says. I love this. The purpose of a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Do you hear that, that, that even the soul of humans, God is saying, is like a, a deep well, but that the Holy Spirit will give us the bucket with which to draw that well out to understand what that person is dealing with and then to be able to satisfy it, not with ourselves, but with the gospel. Do you realize in the gospels, Jesus asks over 300 questions, 300 questions. Why does he ask so many questions? Because he is engaged and involved in active listening. Active listening is known as a a communication skill that goes beyond simply hearing the words that someone is saying, but is where the person is an active participant of the communication process. Look at look at what active listeners do. They're fully present in the conversation. They're showing interest by practicing good eye contact with the person. They're not on their phone. They're noticing and using nonverbal cues. Jesus picked up on the fact she is here at noon by herself. What is going on? Asking open-ended questions to encourage further responses. Paraphrasing and reflecting back what someone else is saying. Listening to understand rather than respond. Some of us are ask a question to be locked and loaded with our response. Blah. <laughs> Active listeners involve listening to understand what is the story that is being told and withholding judgment and advice. Active, active listening requires asking good questions. Do you ask questions of people? They will share with you their life when you do. Most people are willing to talk about spiritual things if you frame it in the right way and if they feel a certain safety in their environment that they won't be judged or lectured to when they ask a question. So it's important that we don't judge or, or, or lecture or look down to, but that we share and have a conversation. <laughs> I, would, I mean, I'm saying this because I'm guilty of this as well, like especially as a dad, like growing up, you know, like my daughter would be like, she, you know, ask, see something on TV, like, why are they doing that? And then I would go into like a three point sermon, like 15 minutes later, she's looking at me with glazed eyes like, dang, I was... <laughs> I didn't think it was how that was coming. So I've had to learn to kind of like scale back, right, (laughs) Um, as well. But we fight for fluency by identifying and listening. Because you know what? Beneath every sin, there's something, there's an unbelief about God. Sin is simply people's attempt to illegitimately meet a legitimate need. A need that they don't think that God can provide, so I have to provide for myself. 
I don't think that God will provide. So I steal and I sell drugs. I don't think that God will provide. So I will go and lie about my background because I don't think he will provide if I just tell people the truth about myself. And so good listening equips the person to hear and to understand what's the deeper story that needs to be told. Once you understand how to listen well, then you can go to the next step of gospel fluency. And we see this with verse 16. Look at what happens. So she's like interested into the living water, right? She's like, yo, I'm into this water. Like, yo, give me that. And Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay, let's just keep moving for a second. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Facts. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain but you say that it is in Jerusalem is the is the place where people ought to worship now this is wild so all right first I need to help get some context why did even Jesus start asking about the husband and and in those times it was customary that essentially this offer for living water was an offer into a, a new covenant a new agreement with her and in that time you wouldn't just ask a woman by herself to make into this covenant couples would go into that covenant together And so that's on the surface a very reasonable question, even appropriate question for him to ask. It'd be like, you know, uh, you wouldn't just have like a salesman wouldn't just go and try to sell to the one without, well, if they're unscrupulous, but you know what I'm saying. So he's bringing that out, but of course he knows a deeper story, but her answer is, I have no husband. She's like, oh, you know, yeah, it's just me, which is a half truth. Like it's true, but then Jesus reveals the full truth. Now, the thing that's important here, we don't know what happened with the five husbands. And oftentimes people make this woman out to be like, you know, just this real scandalous person. And it's like, well, we don't really know what was happening there. And and honestly, based on the fact that she's shacking up with somebody now, she's probably they probably haven't all died. She didn't become a widow five times. They probably divorced her. And in that time, that was the only way that it was going one way. Women didn't even have the right to divorce men. So this was only going. So you're talking about somebody who's experienced a lot of trauma in her life. And maybe as a result of that trauma is why she's in the situation she's in now with just trying to find this affection and affirmation, even financial support from a guy. So Jesus isn't calling her out. He's calling her up. Because she's keeping aspects of the story hidden because of shame. That's why she's out there by herself in the heat of the day, getting water, because she don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. Here's a potential disciple who has a hidden and profound sin and trauma in her life, and now he is calling her into conversation so that she can experience the living water. And this is an important step in the process. We have to learn the language of brokenness that people have. We have to learn the language of brokenness. You see, to free herself from the shame and to deflect from the issue that he just raised, this is why after he says, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, see, y'all worship in Jerusalem, but we worship here, so you know we can't have this conversation. 
She, does, she wants to deflect the issue from that which she's embarrassed by, that which she feels guilt by, and so now she makes it a historical theological issue. You see, like I said earlier, Samaria had become the center of worship for the Samaritans. They didn't go to Jerusalem where the temple was anymore, and so they're like, so we can't have this spiritual conversation. And oftentimes we'll see people deflect when we start having a conversation, right, about sin or about the gospel, or about what Jesus can do in your life. You're like, well, you know, um, what about people who haven't heard? And it's like, well, we're not talking about them right now. We're talking about you. But it becomes difficult for people to stay in that space. And instead of talking at people, we have to learn to talk to them and recognize people are carrying deep wounds, shame. And what does it look like for the gospel to heal those things? Jesus understood the language of brokenness and how to communicate in the midst of it. That's why she was hiding. And so there's a lot that people have at stake. Sometimes we don't understand what we're asking people to do, like what we hope will come out of a conversation when we share the gospel. It's like you're basically asking that people change their reason for living you know, their whole lifestyle, maybe break off some relationships, start some new ones, like, like a whole radical shift. And there's a multitude of reasons. I'll just go through a few that people might be uh, afraid of. There might be barriers to that. I mean, one is misconceptions. They've heard something about Christianity that is not true. Two, they fear losing community, wealth, identity, security, pleasure. Three, pain. Trauma and a painful life events can cause people to distrust God. Well, if my father abused me, then what would make me think that God won't do the same thing? Fruitless Christians. No one wants to become like their unloving, self-righteous, angry, and unhappy people that they've seen around them. And so we have to be aware of these barriers. Because you know what? Many of us had them too. What are the barriers that once kept you from putting faith in Christ? Sometimes we can get in this thing so long we forget. Some of you are here and you have those barriers right now. It's not past tense, it's present. And there's an opportunity to understand that Jesus is there to break those barriers so that we can come into a relationship with him. And look at the response when you learn the language of brokenness, right? So she was like, you know, look, you worshiping there in Jerusalem. We worship, we can't have this conversation. Look at what Jesus says, verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who was called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now we're getting to the root of the issue. Jesus says, "Okay, well, first, this whole historical beef that you're talking about with physical buildings and locations, that ain't even it. 
Because what God is looking for is worship in spirit and in truth. And he gives, he corrects the theological point that says, oh, by the way, when he says salvation is from the Jews, the, 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 the prophets were right that the Messiah was going to come through the line of David. And so he's like, that, that was true. And that temple was the right place to worship. But actually, at the end of the day, that doesn't even matter to you right now. The real issue here is not what happened in the past. It's what you're going to do in the present. It's the real question here is, what are you going to do with the fact that God requires spiritual worship? So sometimes people can have as distractions, uh, all these things historically, sometimes they matter to people and sometimes they're just smoke screens and the Holy Spirit has to, to show us which one. But she says, he says, look, it's all about spirit and truth. And so then notice when she, he says that. She now hearkens to the fact that, yeah, there is going to be a day where everything all works out and the Messiah is going to come. And so she's a theologian. She knows the story. Don't sleep on the Samaritan woman like she knows what she's talking about. Right. He's like, yeah, that's that that day is going to come. And then he says, oh, I'm he It's here, baby. Like the, the time is now. And, and there's this opportunity to, 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 to really reveal the reality of who Jesus is. But when we learn to be gospel fluent, first of all, you have to recognize that conviction will either cause confession or deflection. That's just what you need to know in the language. People will either say, yes, I want more of this living water. Give me some of that. Oh, that needs to require Jesus. Okay, bet. Or they might deflect. And start talking about history and start talking about theology and start talking about what somebody did one long time ago or talk about all of these things. And we have to learn the language of what's really happening, what's going on. What about the gospel do they need right now? Because Jesus is speaking a better word. I love what my brother uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, who uh, wrote Gospel Fluency, I referenced him last week. And he reminds us in the in the book that for those of us who were suffering through having a terrible boss at work, who doesn't give you credit, who gives you all the blame, to, it's helpful to remember that the good news is that Jesus is the better boss, who sees you even when you don't get credit for somebody else. It's important to remember that when you're disappointed by your father or your mother and your upbringing, that Jesus is the better dad, who actually wipes away every tear from your eye, who actually understands and sees you and recognizes your pain. And for parents who got kids that ain't acting right, it's important and helpful to understand. Jesus is the better son who does exactly what the father asks of him so that we can remember that we have hope even when our current situations don't look like what we hope. And that's how you lead to gospel truth. That's how you lead to the tangible truth of the gospel where I get to see the gap between what I wish were to be the case and what is the case and recognize that Jesus bridges that gap in himself. He avoided the distractions and got to the heart of the issue. Well, this is the last part. This is funny. It says verse 27. So just then his disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you see? They're like, yo, I ain't about to try to hold Jesus accountable. Um, <laughs> or why you were talking with her. So the woman left the water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. This is wild. 
So the disciples were gone. They come back and they're like, okay, what's going on? There's all these barriers that are being, you know, and so sometimes you got to watch out because some people will try to like judge and try to be a gatekeeper of what you're doing. When like, why are you in this space that are serving alcohol and maybe people are smoking and doing other things and you're there to be a light, but they're like questioning you because you're like, wait a minute, what are you doing? And so they're, all that's going on. But beyond all of that, check, did you see what, I, what you just read? The woman left her jar and went and go found. The very reason why she came to the well was to get water. Now she leaves the water because she's found living water. And now she's going to the people that she was once avoiding, telling her, them about her story. Come see a man who told me everything that I did. Y'all know about the five husbands. Y'all know about the guy that's there that's about to leave the house right now. Y'all know about all this stuff. Come see a man because what he has done in me is greater than my past. That's the gospel transformation and so of course the, go, the people come to check it out because they're like yo this is wow like she's coming to us and and when you see the end of the story they they, they end up welcoming Jesus in to the community asking him to stay two extra days that's like the the bloods and the crips asking the cops to stick around for a couple extra days right they're like yo can you hang out with us and then and then they say it is no longer because of what she said, but we have heard for ourselves that he is the savior of God. You know what's the wild part? In this story, in chapter four, who's the greater evangelist? Numerically, it's her. Jesus got one, she got a whole community. And that's why we have to look for God's, we have to look and have expectancy for life change. Sometimes we share or we don't share because we don't think that anybody else is going to change. It's like, well, you know, God like rocked my life, but this person is, they have everything. You know, what do you give to the person that has everything? Jesus. Because without him, you have nothing. A few years ago, we did a, uh, a sermon series called True Story that we looked at a lot of objections that people had to the faith. And after uh, the last message on it, which I gave, uh, went up to some of our um, sound guys. They were rapping chords. And a couple of them they had come to know us through um, other means. Like one dude, you know, his girlfriend was coming here, and so he decided to come, and he had an interest in sound. Another guy was just studying, and they just wanted the training and the experience. So I kind of asked them, what did you think of the series? And they was like, ah, you know, it was cool. You know, it was still got some questions, though. I was like, that's fair. So then I asked, I said, so what would, you, would you be interested if, in following Jesus if all of your questions got answered? He was like, yeah, I would consider that. So I said, well, there's a guy who was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, and he was an atheist that set out to disprove Christianity. And in the process, he ended up discovering the truth of Christianity and wrote a book about it. Would you be interested in going through that book with us? They said, yeah. I would. So for a couple months, we went through this book. It's called The Case for Christ. It's a great book. And, you know, we walked through each of the questions one by one. The film came out, actually. <laughs> we didn't know when we started that process, like a little bit after. And I, and I was like, y'all want to go see the film? They were like, yeah. I'm like, please don't let this be a corny Christian film. Please. <laughs> please, God. I prayed hard. Please. Y'all know how that is. It wasn't. It was a good film. And uh, so Easter service came by, came through, like right after. Like we went to go see it on Friday. It was Easter on Sunday. And so afterwards, he was just sitting there. 
And I just approached him. I said, so um, where you at, man? He was like, I'm ready to receive Jesus. So right there at our sanctuary, we prayed with Brett Ainsley to receive Christ. Some of y'all know Brett because now he's a growth group leader and a leader in our church. And I share that because what it took was time. What it took was intention. It took leaving the comfort zone. It took listening to what his concerns were. It took learning the language of brokenness in his life and ultimately looking to lead him to gospel truth. And these are the opportunities that we get when we take the steps of faith to go out and share. The gospel changes lives. It gives people a new identity, but the gospel also creates a new community around it. And I'm glad to be able to call Brett my, our brother now. We all know people in our lives that need to hear the gospel truth and that you know you need to leave your comfort zone in order to share with. And my prayer is that as you learn to listen, as you learn to speak the language and lead them to the gospel, that we realize this is, this is not about being perfect. It takes practice. But I want to pray over you, if you would stand. I want to pray over you a prayer of commissioning. And I also want to pray because you might be here and there are some barriers that got knocked down today. As you thought, oh man, this is totally different from what I thought was the good news. Something had gotten lost in translation. And I'm here to let you know that we welcome more Bretts into the fold. We welcome more people to come to know who Jesus is because he's so great, not because of us. We're broken still. There's still areas in our life where we're trusting to believe in Jesus. But we can do that together in community. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the ways in which you come to our neighborhood, you speak our language, and you give us a greater truth than the brokenness that we experience in our lives. I pray that you would equip us to go out into our spheres of influence and tell people the news that changed our life and the news that can change theirs as well. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.